My guess is that what I think the secret to leadership really is not something you've heard elsewhere. And it's because it occurred to me over the years in reflecting on so many of my journals that I've written in consistently for the last dozen years since I started my first business, that really the key thing that I've done the whole way through in my growth and in the seasons I haven't done it, I haven't seen the same level of growth, and in studying other people and other tremendous leaders, this is what they're doing too. That secret is fighting nature. Like it's fighting your natural tendencies and being willing to sacrifice. Sexy, isn't it? So I'm going to talk today about what Moti, Mother Teresa, my homegirl, Larry Bird, my homeboy, and Winston Churchill have in common when it comes to this and what lessons we can extract from them. But I also want to make it really applicable and talk through the actual ways this can show up as evidence as to whether you're growing or you're dying on the vine. People assume that someone they admire is a natural born leader, right? That it came easier to them or they have a natural propensity for it. But maybe they should consider the fact that person they admire was willing to do what they weren't willing to do, right? They were willing to fight harder than them and sacrifice more than them. I'm going to walk you through the tangible ways you can do this, how it can and should show up in your life as a leader, and how this is literally going to set you apart. How sometimes we're seeking the next best marketing strategy or thing that we can do, that low-hanging fruit, when really what you need to do is thinking about the thing you don't want to friggin' do and then go do that thing over and over and over. All right, let's jump into it. Hey, you're listening to the Luminary Leadership Podcast, and I'm your host, Liz. This is the space where we equip overwhelmed entrepreneurs to become the confident, visionary leader their business, team, family, legacy need to win. After working with countless entrepreneurs over the last decade plus, I've noticed this theme. No matter the level of success they achieved, and I've worked with some incredibly successful business owners, they get to this point where they're asking, now what? You know, what am I being called to next? What does next look like? How do I get there? If you're listening to this, you get it. You're craving more impact and you want to feel less frantic and in the weeds of your day-to-day roles and instead lead with that vision and that peace and that intention and that clarity. You want to wake up each morning with that clarity and vision and the time and the margin to do what you love in your business and in your life with your family. This show is where industry leaders come to grow into their next level of achievement and purpose and impact and legacy, success in business and true legacy at home. Get ready because we both know you don't just need another strategy. It is time for your breakthrough. I was having an interesting conversation with one of my mastermind clients who's brilliant, runs an incredibly successful company, and she said to me, you know what, where I'm struggling the most right now is patience. I just get so sick of feeling like I could do that faster, and then I just stay up till midnight and I go get the thing done, because that's just her mind. Like, she's such a doer, and she's so gifted, and she's so competent. I'm really struggling with patience. I, I just, that's just not my thing. And I was like, okay, there you go. You just circled your new thing. You just put a target on what is required of you to actually break through the ceiling you're facing. 
We all have it, right? We all have that plateau that we hit at some point where we're like, man, we've grown really far. We've done really well, but why am I getting stuck here? And then we remember the little things that we haven't been willing to do that are almost so subconscious that we're not even aware of them because we're so competent in other areas and we've leveraged those other areas. And I'm a proponent of when you're great at something, you double down on that and you leverage your gifts. However, when it comes to leadership, it's identifying the areas you haven't been willing to go to because it feels hard or uncomfortable, right? Like for some people, one of the guys my husband's mentoring, for him, it's allowing himself to be vulnerable, He will never access the next level of his life and his marriage until he's willing to go to the depths of the places that are like hell for him because of the vulnerability factor. You have to put a big, bold red circle around the thing that you know deep down in your soul, if you took the time to actually reflect on this, is the next level to your growth. Now, what I could tell my client to help her with this because she is a very systems-oriented person. I was like, listen, you got to leverage the things you're really good at to access the things you're not good at yet, right? To fight nature, you have to pull in the things that you know you can lean on to help you step into whatever is next. So you're really good at systems, right? You're really good at discipline. Like you get up at 4 a.m. before your kids and you get your stuff done, right? You are super strategic There is no limit to what you can accomplish. So if patience feels like that elusive things that you you just can't do, like you weren't, you, you didn't grow up with it, you don't have it now, it feels really difficult, you have to leverage the things that make it available to you until it becomes second nature to you. You have to fight nature until it becomes nature. This is what I told her. I'm like, okay, when you encounter those moments where you're like, oh gosh, I wanna kill my team because... I could do it faster than them, and I would normally take the ball and just run with it. One, you're dehumanizing and belittling your team members, assuming that they too are competent by taking their job from them and telling them, like, it's okay, I could just do it faster. That's not how you lead. That's how you micromanage and lose people and waste money. So when you have that propensity to do that thing, And life is not on the line. Like you're not in the middle of a launch and someone's just dropping the ball on something they're supposed to do and you're picking up and running with it. I'm not talking about that. What can you do? You can come up with a system or a strategy because that's what you're good at to fall back on. So when you get that urge, you have your three things that you do every time to take you out of it, right? You turn it systematic, right? You identify whether this is truly as urgent as it feels, yes or no question. If it's a no, okay, you have some grounding in reality. Then you're going to turn yourself towards the responsibilities that are truly yours. There's your second piece of the system that you're going to apply because you're good at systems, you're good at discipline. And then you know what you're going to do? You're going to go empower your team member. And it's going to be your reminder that this is their job and that it's your job to be a leader of leaders. So for her, it was like implementing something that helped her do it. For me, I have a lot. I have a lot of nature fighting moments in my life. Left to my own devices, I could go one of two very different ways. And depending on the day and depending on the season, it's a drastic divide, right? Most days these days, because I'm super passionate about what I do, things are humming, we're growing, and it's been like this for a long time. My propensity is I could totally be a workaholic, I don't want to be. I want to be a present mom. I want to enjoy my life. 
But left to my own devices without ways to wrangle me back in, 100% could work till I'm blue in the face without even realizing that I'm just like steamrolling the rest of my life. The other side of the divide is I could be a sloth. I could be a literal sloth. It's been many moons since I've been a sloth, but there was like a good decade in there where I was queen sloth. Like I could sleep till noon, get up, take a nap, and then watch TV. Like that, I could be down with that. I could be really good at that. So I know that I have natural tendencies that I can fall into, neither of which are good. So in order for me to become the best version of me, to become the leader I know I need to be in order to carry out the mission that God's placed in my heart, both in the four walls of my home and in my business, I have to fight nature. So how do you fight nature? You leverage discipline, right? Like sometimes it is just drawing the line in the sand and I don't do sloth-like things. Sometimes it's systems like I had to teach my client. Sometimes it's accountability. It's my husband holds me accountable to not being a workaholic, right? He's, I have that person in my life that holds up that mirror and reflects back to me how I'm misbehaving and live, living into my natural tendencies. And that helps. And then other ways you fight nature is you take a pause. You have enough margin in your life to be aware of how you're living. Do not live on autopilot. When you live on autopilot, you naturally transition into your natural tendencies that are not serving the person you want to be. So what is the nature of true leadership? It And distinguishing it from what I would say is like entrepreneurship. There's entrepreneurship, but then there's leadership. True leadership is going to transcend the transitional boundaries of like management or position, and it's not confined to one specific way of doing things. And when you're in a position of leadership, which you all are, you're running businesses, you want to imagine leadership as something that requires you to constantly, let's picture yourself in a dense forest, to constantly be cutting down new paths, right? You don't want to build these ruts into the ground that you constantly travel because those ruts keep you limited from where you can explore. And exploring outside of those ruts that you've created because you've been on autopilot and you're doing the things that come naturally to you limit your access to the life you really want to be living. It keeps you, it's comfortable and safe, but it's uncomfortable because you don't want to live that way. And it's not about being contrary for contrary's sake, right? It's not about being obnoxiously different for the sake of different, but genuine leadership, it does demand a continuous process of self-awareness and self-reflection. That's that margin, why it's so critical, and the willingness to confront your own biases and ingrained behaviors that you fall back on naturally. In a nutshell, when someone is really embracing leadership and who they know they have to become, knowing that it's not going to just come naturally, They understand that the path to extraordinary achievement or just extraordinary alignment on purpose is going to be paved with challenges that push against their own comfort zones over and over. And they recognize that success is going to lie in embracing the discomfort of growth, right, and innovation and risk-taking and continuous self-challenge. And that's why I want to talk about three individuals who mastered this. So that you can have an understanding of what I'm talking about and how it applies to your own life and your own business. Moti, Moti, Mother Teresa, my girl, okay? This 
has stuck with me since I was a little kid. She had these private letters that ultimately, like diaries that got published, where she was writing to one of her dear priest friends, and after she passed, it it all got published. And in those diaries, she revealed how much she had to fight nature. We saw Mother Teresa growing up, being a 90s kid, all the incredible things she was doing. And I don't know about you, we always use the phrase still to this day, I'm not a Mother Teresa. It's That's the essence of, oh, she was like perfect. She was godly. She would do everything perfectly. She just was such a holy figure. Um, She just constantly wanted to serve other people and all that. And that, there's a lot of truth to it. But I think the representation of her was that it came so easily, right? Because that was just who she was. That babe fought nature every day. She dedicated her life, in case you've lived under a rock for the last few decades, to serving the most destitute, right? Streets of Calcutta, people dying of leprosy, bare hands on them, caring for them, feeding them, whatever. Her journey went so far beyond conventional acts of kindness, I would say. We think kindness is holding a door. She thinks kindness is like holding a limb that's falling off of someone who is contagious and hugging them and serving them. And she challenged even her profound connection with God, right? So in her writings, she reveals this deeply personal struggle and shines a light on her internal conflicts despite her unwavering commitment to faith. This was so wild to me, right? Think about it from your own perspective. You are on this journey and you have this unwavering commitment to the mission that you're on. But in order to live out that mission, in in order to, quote, find success in what you're doing, the same way she was seeking success in her mission of serving others, she was so committed to that vision that even if the journey there almost was the opposite of how she felt the whole way through, right? So in her private letters, she talked about these moments of profound spiritual darkness. Can you even believe this is Moti? This helps me. Because in my moments of doubt and struggle in my faith, I'm like, okay, if Mother Teresa could struggle, I can struggle. And she grappled with these feelings of disconnection from God and a sense of emptiness. And does God even remember me? Or am I even worthy of his love? And questioned that worthiness. And these revelations were really startling for a lot of the people that admired her because they came from a figure who seemed to epitomize divine devotion. So that Internal struggle added this layer of complexity to Mother Teresa and her leadership. It, to me, showcased a leader who, despite her immense impact on the world, faced her own internal battles. And you can even flip that. Despite her own internal battles, she made an impact on the world. So that dichotomy between her public image as the symbol of unwavering faith and then her private struggle with fighting nature of doubt. It just demonstrated this depth of humanity that resonated with so many. When that was revealed, it made people respect her even more in her leadership because she was more human then. So her ability to confront these inner challenges and still continue her mission, it reflected that resilience and that unwavering commitment to the people that she was serving. So her letters They revealed that even the most revered figures like Mother Teresa can grapple with the doubt or can grapple with the things that we would think they'd never struggle with. 
it's just about that perseverance through those moments and choosing something else despite how you're feeling, right? We don't let our feelings drive the train. That's a definition of a leader. And this facet of her and her journey, it just gives you this unique perspective on the nature of faith and service and the internal struggles that accompanied her life of devotion and higher purpose. But it also serves as a testament to the strength and the willingness and the commitment that's required to navigate when you're called to something. That when you're called to something, you will ultimately at some point hit your fork in the road where you can no longer keep going the way you were going. You're going to have to fight for it. You're going to have to sacrifice for it. So she had to endure the pain of those thoughts and that nature that that's how she lived. And she had to choose to continue on anyway and to grow and evolve and change and believe differently despite what she was experiencing. I need to digress for a sec because I know you're feeling called to your next level and you need to stop spinning those wheels and hoping your business is just going to grow or someday you're going to have more freedom or maybe you're going to finally become known in your space. And I get it because that was my reality for years. I was stuck financially and I want to share what the differentiator was between being in that plateau financially, not having freedom, not having time, to breaking into several million, to finally getting that momentum at my back and feeling like everything was falling into place. And the difference for me was going from trying to figure it out and testing a bunch of things and guessing as to what would work to having one mentor in my life who believed in me and was willing to pull back the curtain on his eight-figure business to show me exactly what he was doing that worked. And all of a sudden I had the answers to the questions and the solutions to the problems and the systems and the strategy and the leadership mindset I needed to have to be able to lead my business to success. And that's what I've done for you. I've compiled all the resources and the templates and the systems and the strategy and the leadership wisdom and the plug and play tools into one convenient place. So when you have questions about how to increase your sales or your conversions or how to have better messaging and marketing so that you attract the right people or how to lead your business well or how to grow your team or create a team culture that just leads to this mission that is taking off all of those things they're in one convenient place a resource hub that we call your breakthrough year because you use it and you have your breakthrough year and you can pull from it whenever you need it no more feeling stuck or wasting time and money If it worked for me, if it worked for my many high-end clients, my high-performing clients, it's in there for you to leverage. So go to luminaryleadershipco.com forward slash leader and get on the wait list because only those on the wait list get a special discount and access to incredible bonuses like my most profitable year system and how to boost your sales and increase cash flow instantly. You guys, this one's a no-brainer. So go to luminaryleadershipco.com forward slash leader and get on that wait list. Winston Churchill I thought this was interesting. So with Mother Teresa, I wanted to present this idea of how she was thinking, because this is a big thing that we face as leaders. Winston Churchill, I thought it was interesting because his fighting nature things are a little bit more, you can point to them, you can touch them. He obviously was a leader in one of the most tumultuous times in history and had a lot of adversaries, but he also had a lot of internal demons who doesn't. And in his rise, there were two things that I want to highlight that he had to fight against, right? That came really naturally to him, but they weren't going to serve the leader he needed to be to execute the mission. The first was a short temper. Okay. We've heard one million Winston Churchill quotes, and none of them represent a dude with a short temper. But when you study him... In his early career, he was known for his 
crazy impulsive reactions and crazy short temper on people. He clashed with colleagues. He earned the reputation that he was just like would just come unhinged, right? And he realized that in order for him to be an effective leader and step into this next level of leadership, right? Like his short temper, it got him this far, but it's not going to get him that far. He had to to make a conscious effort to fight nature. He had to make a conscious effort to say, I I can't just chalk it up to I'm a hothead. I have to become something else. There was one notable incident during a parliamentary debate when an opposing member accused Churchill of being drunk. (laughs) And in that moment, everyone expected him to like fly off the handle like he normally would. And instead of responding impulsively, He paused, right? There's that pause we're talking about. He took a deep breath. There's his fallback, his system, like the thing he has to trigger. And he replied with some really witty, graceful comment. And this was, to me, one of the situations that indicated that strategic restraint that he had to start to leverage. And it marked this turning point in his career, in his public image, right? It demonstrated that He could overcome his nature. He could overcome his short temper for the sake of the mission, for the sake of effective leadership. Another thing he struggled with, he had a speech impediment. This is a a tougher thing, right? It's a lot easier to say, this is how I was born. This is how I talk. What am I going to do? But he was on a journey of relentless determination when it came to this speech impediment. He had to overcome a lisp, and he had this slight stutter, and he turned his greatest vulnerability to be a leader in a position of influence like that and have those speech impediments. It makes people question your effectiveness, and he turned it into one of his strengths. So instead of succumbing to that self-doubt that could certainly erupt from that his nature, he embraced that challenge. And through consistent practice, like doing, he had to put time into this. He transformed himself into one of the most well-remembered, powerful orators in all of history. He had these brilliantly famous speeches, right? Like his We Shall Fight on the Beaches speech. And not only did he inspire the British people during some of the darkest days of the war, but he showcased his ability to triumph over personal obstacles. So Churchill's fight against his own nature, his own speech impediment, wasn't integral part of his leadership legacy, right? Sometimes these things that are our nature that we're willing to fight against become our legacy. It become the reason that we leave a ripple effect that people remember us for. Okay, so we got Moti, we got Winnie. What about my boy Larry? I don't know about you guys. Again, 80s, 90s kid, obsessed with Larry Bird, plus born and raised Boston Celtics fan. Absolute basketball icon. If you don't know who he is, I officially disown you. You're dead to me. But he wasn't just a player. He was super strategic on the court. That was his advantage, right? He reshaped the way the game was played. And he had this wild commitment to developing a strategic mindset and what people call basketball IQ that didn't come naturally. But he was so laser focused on it and he knew that would be his ticket. That would be his advantage because he was never the most athletic. He wasn't, that was not his gifting. He wasn't even the most talented, although he was 
fire, but he wasn't the most. He knew in order for him to make it as far as he was seeking to go, he had to develop an edge. So he had to do something that took him out of his comfort zone, that took him out of what was natural into another level. In his earlier years, he wasn't really known for his physical prowess or his athleticism. That wasn't his jam. However, what did set him apart was this acute understanding of the game. Like people would say he had eyes in the back of his head. Rather than relying solely on his natural talents, Bird recognized this importance of strategic approach to basketball. And this marked the beginning of a journey toward mastering just the mentality of the sport, which people weren't really thinking about back then. So he started to focus on this concept of having like basketball IQ. So when a lot of players at that time were defined by their physical abilities, you look at people like Jordan or Charles Barkley or whatever it might be, he chose a really different path. He set himself against the grain and started to pave his own path in that dense forest, right? He decided to hone in on basketball IQ and understand that a deep understanding of strategy and the ability to read the game could compensate for certain physical limitations. And this decision was totally unconventional, but proved to be super wise. So what did he do, right? Sometimes we can break down What do I have to tangibly do to fight nature? What do I tangibly have to do to move myself in this different direction when it doesn't come naturally to me? So for him, it was saying, okay, what would it look like if I took this different angle that other players are not taking right now? So he started to develop that strategic mindset and he would study his opponents. He would analyze game situations. He would rewatch film over and over. When other guys went home, he was studying And he would understand the nuances of different players' dynamics. And so while others were focused on the obvious stuff like conditioning or flashy plays or whatever, he was in the film room. He was taking notes. He was breaking down game film. He was deciphering the chess match that was unfolding on the court. And that gave him a strategic advantage. His strategic prowess, not his physical prowess, it impacted his game. And there was a notable example of this with Magic Johnson. Magic, he was always known for his flashy plays. And Bird was known for more of this cerebral approach. So Bird's ability to anticipate the flashy plays allowed him to exploit the weaknesses of other players and make these split-second decisions showcasing that strategic advantage that he had by focusing on IQ. So in 1984, I think, I want to say 1984 finals, I've watched all these game tapes, like even before I was born with my dad a million times on VHS. I'm pretty sure, don't quote me, it was the 1984 NBA finals and Bird's Celtics were matching up against Magic Lakers, okay? Bird's strategic brilliance just shined because he led the Celtics to a victory. And that victory was the moment where people realized the potency of a mind finely tuned to the complexities of basketball. He changed the game. He changed the way people looked at the game. His performances in those crucial moments just demonstrated that 
true mastery of the game wasn't just about the physical skills anymore. It wasn't about the biggest guy or the guy that could jump the highest or run the fastest, that he could outthink and outmaneuver his opponents because of his strategic leadership. It was such a powerful turning moment in the game itself, and he was the leader of it because of his willingness to fight nature. And I know sometimes it sounds counterintuitive, right? Like we don't want to fight nature. Of course we don't. That's why most of us don't ever get to experience the success we want. We're not willing to make those sacrifices and evolve. So the sacrifices that leaders will often make is the reason they become the leaders they are. Are you willing to give up what's most natural, what's most comfortable, what feels like your crutch for the sake of running your fastest, best race? Are you willing to evolve outside of those challenging comfort zones to experience the possibility that you're seeking? So how can you do this? I want to go back to the pause. I want to go back to the margin. Talk about this all the time. I'm never going to stop talking about it. You need margin for leadership, the leadership zone, okay? A simple start, 15 minutes a day of reflection. Self-awareness is the first piece. You want to create this quiet space for introspection and leadership, reflecting on what are those challenges you're facing. Being aware of the fact that you have some natural tendencies that are holding you back. What are your go-to ways of thinking or operating when you encounter a challenge? That's a good way to identify where you're getting stuck, right? Like my client, my guess is when something happens that tests her patience, she leans into being impatient. But she had to have that awareness to be able to even bring it to me. I was so impressed that she was so hyper aware of it. And she wasn't even just like saying, oh, I'm just so impatient. This is how I roll. She was saying... I'm seeing this as my problem. How do I get past this? So having these daily rituals, creating this self-awareness, it's just such a cornerstone of true leadership. So create that margin. Another thing you can do is skill development, right? So embark on like a 30-day challenge to acquire new skills that are going to help you develop that area where you're weak. It doesn't require a lot of time. 30 minutes, three times a week, you're going to dedicate to the thing you now are self-aware of because you have time for introspection now to start to hone in on it and get better. Another thing, my husband's really good at this, discomfort exposure. Intentionally seeking discomfort at least once a week. The dude has swam with sharks because he was terrified of sharks. He's bungee jumped because he was horrified of heights. It's literally his indicator of, oh crap, I guess I gotta go do this thing because I'm terrified of it. So proactively engage in the things that are going to push you outside your comfort zone. So again, taking my client as the patience piece, she's going to put herself in scenarios where she's going to be triggered to be impatient, and then she's going to be better at it. Winston Churchill is going to put himself in, or he's not going to do it now because he's been dead for a little bit, but he's going to put himself in public speaking opportunities because it's going to be super uncomfortable because that's not a natural gifting. And then create a feedback loop. Do you have the people in your life peers, mentors, colleagues, whatever, who are going to give you feedback on the things you're growing in. So the keys, again, it's the daily reflection, having that margin. It's going to be the skill development, the discomfort exposure on purpose, and feedback loops. Like you need the feedback. You need to know if you're on the right track. This is how you grow. You do something like this for 30 days, you come out a different person 30 days from now. But nobody wants to do it because it's uncomfortable. 
nobody wants to put themselves in a situation where they are literally fighting against their the exact natural way that they would operate because it's a guarantee of discomfort. It's a guarantee of being not very good at it. And who the heck, especially successful people, want to be not very good at something? No one. So we avoid it. And we stay in the areas where we're really good because we feel like we're shining. But you will cap your growth. If you're in a season of plateau and you're wondering why, here's your answer. Here's your sign. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to pull out your calendar. You're going to build in that 15-minute window of reflection every day. You're going to pull out your calendar and you're going to commit the next 30 days to skill development after you identify and have awareness after one week of doing the margin what it is that's holding you back. What is that natural tendency you have to fight? The third thing, you're going to then build into your calendar ways to expose yourself to how you're going to overcome that. And you're going to draw in at least one human being with a pulse that is going to hold you accountable to this and give you feedback. There you go. You're going to create that cycle one month and report back. I want to see that transformation. This is how you become. This is how you step in to the purposeful, influential, respected leader you're called to be. If this spoke to you, please go share it with another person you believe in. And by all means, tag us at Eliz Hartke. I want to shout you out. I want to see your growth. I want to celebrate you. I want to champion you. And if you haven't yet, please leave a review. It helps so, so very much. We read everyone. We appreciate everyone. And until next time, we'll talk soon. I hope today's episode gave you what you needed. If it spoke to you, please leave us a review and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on the next powerful episode. And I know it's so cliche to ask for a review. It always feels weird asking for one, but you guys, that makes a huge impact on the show. We read every one of them and it helps us get incredible guests to serve you. Don't be shy. I love connecting with our listeners. You can follow along on Instagram when I'm on there at Eliz Hartke. And if there's a topic or a question or guest you have for us, reach out, share your thoughts. You can connect at marketing at luminaryleadershipco.com. And we do this for you. So the more you tell us, the more we can serve you. Thanks for spending some time with me. I really do appreciate you. Tune in next week to keep building your legacy and becoming the confident visionary leader you are meant to be.